Well, as I've said, uh, our theme this morning as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, is that of a faithful church. Uh, how do we know they are a faithful church? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us something about the church in Thessalonica. And this is what he says in verse 2, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work, produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. This is why we're able to call them a faithful church. They had these three ingredients, faith, hope, and love. Some boys were having fun in the school playground. They were playing soldiers, and uh, so as not to hurt each other, instead of actually physically killing each other, uh, they just went stab, stab, bang, bang, or punch, punch. Okay, so this is what they were doing. They were sneaking up on each other, and they were, stab, stab, you're dead, punch, punch, you're knocked out, uh, or uh, bang, bang, you're dead also far. I forgot the third one. But there was one wee lad, and he seemed to be impervious at all. They came to him, punch, punch, you're knocked out, stab, stab, you're dead, uh, bang, bang, you're dead. But it didn't matter. He just never fell down. So eventually they stopped the game and said, hold on here. Why aren't you playing the game? And he said, I'm a tank. If we want to get through life unhurt, unharmed, we may think that the best way to do it is to become a tank, thick-skinned and hard, so that everything bounces off you. There's an advert on TV at the minute. It's a, it's a sweat and tears advert. It's about drinking their particular brand of water. And it says, if, if you... Drink our water, you will sweat, and if you drink our water, you'll have tears. And I, I would suggest to you that not drinking their water, I still have those two ingredients in my life, but I have them especially if I live a life of faith, love, and hope. That's the distinction of Christian living. The Christian perspective, the way we view our lives, how we view the world, how we view relationships, everything we approach in life, every task we undertake, every decision we have to make, we do it through eyes of faith, hope, and love. We are not ruled by cynicism. We are not ruled by apathy. We are not ruled by despair. We don't invest our lives in trivia as a distraction because we, as God's people, share this perspective. We are people of faith. We are people of hope. And we are people of love. Now, don't get me wrong. If those ingredients are in your life, they will cause you to sweat and cry. You will be hurt. You will find things difficult. You will be challenged to become cynical and disillusioned. But that's not us. 
because we want to be like the church in Thessalonia, a faithful church, a church of faith, hope, and love. And Paul reminds them of how they got there. First, he reminds them how it all began by what God did. Now, when you read the Bible, you will quite naturally uh, feel that it should say a lot about God. You would expect that, wouldn't you? And you want to know about God uh, as you read the Bible. But it also says about, a lot about people and their relationship with God and how God intervenes in their lives. And Paul points out four things that God did at the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, put in the word sisters as well, that, so that's the first one, loved by God, that he has chosen you, that's the second one, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, that's the third one, and then the fourth one, and with deep conviction. Four things. Loved by God, chosen by God, and I'm going to suggest about the Holy Spirit, the residence of God, or the home of God, and then fourthly, having a God-informed conscience. Let's look at those four things that God did in the Thessalonians' lives to change them into this people of faith, hope, and love. Away back in the times of uh, the foot and mouth disease, uh, they were putting down animals by their thousands here. But there was a little, there was a little lamb that was meant to be put down, but somehow escaped from the abattoir, and it was caught and it was covered in, in mud. And some government official decided that this little lamb shouldn't die like the rest, and it was cleaned up and it became snowy white, and it was called Phoenix. And the whole nation loved that little lamb. I wonder if it had been a, a, a pig with less good facial features would they have felt the same about it. But what the first thing that the Thessalonians came to know about God was that he loved them. For we know brothers loved by God. They knew something as God intervened in their life. They knew that they were loved. And of course, they, they knew how they were loved. It was through Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. But more than that, they were not only loved by God in some sort of universal sense, they were chosen by God. This is a very special love indeed in which Paul is speaking of here. It is a love that involves choice. We could talk of it being in love. When God chooses us, we know that He is in love with us. God is committed heart and mind to us, and that's a wonderful thing. 
So these Thessalonians, who coming from a pagan background, come to know that the one true God who gave us Jesus Christ loves them, but not loves them just in a universal sense, but also in a very special way. He loves them individually because he has chosen them. And then, the third thing they learned that God did in their lives was that having loved them and chosen them, He came to live in them in the Holy Spirit. Did you awaken this morning knowing that the Holy Spirit, that God, was within you? Do you live day by day and hour by hour with this realization that God is within you? It's, I know at times it's hard to take it in. Let little old us with our frailties and our failings and our contrariness that he lives within us. That this great God of the whole universe, this mighty God, who by the power of his word commands all things, this same God is so holy that sin and evil burns up in his presence, is dwelling within us, and that the whole of our spiritual life comes from him. God has made his home in my heart. God has made his home in your heart. If you have responded to the Word of God, if the gospel has changed your life, that is true of you. That's the third thing. Loved by God, chosen by God, God making His home in our life. And then the, the fourth thing, conscience. That's an invented word by me. Conscience by God. That's when we read that the Holy Spirit comes within us, and with deep conviction. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is to give us an awareness of ourselves and of God that we didn't have before. Like the fabled king of old, God can awaken us to the reality that before him we have no clothes to conceal ourselves with. The brokenness, the mistakes, the failures of the past, the willful, reckless disregard for what we know to be right and good, the judgment that we pass on others but excuse in ourselves, this complex distortion of humanity that is us, and we all share it. The Bible has a shorthand term to describe it. It calls it sin. And part of what God does is to bring us to an awareness of it. And when God has done this work in our lives, we are ready. What are we ready for? When we know God loves us and God has chosen us and God has come to make our home in us and God has given us a conscience, what are we ready for? We are ready to embrace and live by the gospel. And then Paul begins to speak of the human side of the story of the church at Thessalonia, of how he came to them and the things that he did that they responded to. He says, firstly, he shared the gospel. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. When Paul says our gospel, he's not saying that he owns the gospel, he's saying the gospel owns him. 
If you want to see your life turned around, this is where it begins, the gospel. God loves you. God, Christ died for you. Christ forgives you. Christ empowers you. Christ prepares a way for you. The church, just like Paul, is a repository, the storehouse of the gospel. Our calling is to share it. This is what we do. Don't be shocked when you come to this place Sunday by Sunday that you don't hear sermons on ecology or world peace or global warming or politics. Those things you can hear elsewhere. But if the church does not proclaim the gospel, there is no one else to do it. And it is a gospel that has the power to change the world. And the power that Paul speaks of here is not a reference to powerful preaching. Minister sermons can be up and down. You know, if you go to some of the, the, uh, the black gospel congregations in America, they shout out, the congregation shouts out as a, as a preacher's preaching, you know. Maybe if he's doing well, they'll say, preach it, brother, or, or hallelujah. But other times you might hear from the back of a church, help him, Lord. The power of the gospel is not in its presentation, its words. The power of the gospel is in its truth. It has the power of seed. A little seed and grain of truth planted in our life that grows. That's the power of the gospel. So he came and he he shared the gospel. In words, yes, but it came in power because the words got planted. Secondly, he shared the gospel in person. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, verses 5 and 6. The church in Thessalonica didn't come into being because Paul sent letters. It came into being because Paul came with others and lived among them. Just as Jesus left heaven and came to earth, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's what Jesus said. We are to do the same as Jesus. So Paul lived among the Thessalonians. He lived among them. Note what happened. He didn't learn to live as they did. They learned to live as he did. He didn't change. They did. And it's something to speak to us here. Paul didn't only preach the gospel in words, he preached the gospel in person. Maybe what we need is not more preachers. What we need are more practitioners, more people to practice their faith. Gospel preaching and Christian living was a combination that founded this faithful church in Thessalonia. I now sit in the pew more than I stand in the pulpit. And the more I sit in the pew, the more I realize the responsibility of the pew. If anything, it outweighs the responsibility of the pulpit to live our lives in a way that others see it. We demonstrate the gospel. This faithful church. You know, there are many things that can drive a church. 
Paul says in verse 8 specifically what drove the Thessalonian church. It says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. It was faith. But, you know, not all churches are driven that way. A church can be driven by tradition. Nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition is the living faith of people now dead. And we should celebrate their living faith when it was the living faith. But if we have a church that is driven by tradition, it's reversed. Instead of it being a living faith of people now dead, it becomes the dead faith of people now living. A church can be driven by personality. A church can be driven by finances. A church can be uh, driven by its social connections. A church can be driven by its buildings, a monument. But the church at Thessalonica was not known for those things. It was known for its faith. Our time is away. Let me just tell you how we can see how that faith worked out. Verse 6, they were imitators of us. In other words, these Thessalonians were humble enough to learn. Secondly, they were buoyant. They had joy in suffering. Again, verse 6, in spite of severe sufferings, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They were an example to others. Verse 7, you became a model to all. They were hospitable. Verse 9, what kind of reception you gave us. They were transformed lives. Verse 9, you turned to God from idols. Verse 10, they were hope-filled. You were waiting for the Son. This was a dynamic, faithful church. One last thing to tell you about the church in Thessalonica and this letter to them. This is one of the letters that Paul writes to a church, and there is no local name mentioned in it. No leaders are mentioned. No elders are mentioned. No preachers are mentioned. Why was that? What is the particular thing about the letter to the Thessalonians that stands out? What stands out? That the witness of this church came from its practitioners, the people who lived out their lives, the people, as we might say today, in the pew. Practitioners. At the end of the day, practitioners are more important than preachers. It's the practitioners who make the church known. It is practitioners who go out to the world and take with them the words and a demonstration of the gospel. And in these days, this is a message for us to go forward with that we as a living, faithful church, a church that has a perspective of faith, hope, and love, that dynamic in our lives, we have cause to believe that God will be with us and he'll use us. Let's pray.
gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul in writing this letter. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, there is no mention of any superstar in this letter. We thank you, Heavenly Father. It is a message to the people in the pew. The dynamic of being a practitioner, of being someone who lives out the gospel in daily living with faith, hope, and love. Make us those type of people. Amen.